also have a nursing mother's room there. So <clears throat> if you ask anyone back there, they can guide you, I believe, to that, uh, that place for nursing mothers. It's a very comfortable place. And it, uh, both, both those rooms have large screens in them so that you can continue following the message. That being said, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We will be reading the first four verses. And I do pray uh, that you have been reading along, at least occasionally, at home, reading and thinking about these verses that have been before us for a number of weeks now. And uh, I do pray that as the wonderful revelation set before us there penetrates into your heart, into your mind, uh, they will stay with you as we go through the rest of the book. It is truly the key in many ways to understanding what's being said in the rest of this wonderful letter. With that being said, if you would stand with me once more, we're going to read this word together. And we can read together this morning for those of you that would like to join in reading aloud. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you would continue standing as we pray. If you have a condition that makes it difficult for you to continue standing, please feel free to be seated. O Christ, what a blessing, what an honor, what a dignity, what a joy, and what a privilege it is that thou hast called us together and that we may stand before thee. Thou hast called us to this meeting. And we expect not only thy gracious presence, but we anticipate thy work in this place 
Thou didst pray, Lord Jesus. Thou didst pray shortly before thy death upon the cross that thy people would be one with thee as thou art with the Father. How we praise and thank thee for that prayer. We know that the Father always heard thy prayers as thou walked this earth. And so we anticipate, we do pray that thou wouldst come with thy mighty spirit, that thou wouldst bring those holy meltings to our heart, that thou wouldst bring thy glorious presence and power to us here. May we know something of that power of our union with thee and of our union with one another. Father, may it not be shattered. But I pray that thou wouldst help us, each one taking our responsibility in keeping the peace, in making peace. Oh, blessed God, how we thank thee for the peace that is ours through justification by faith in Christ Jesus. How we thank thee that truly our souls, disturbed by sin, can be at peace because thou hast died in our place, because thou hast risen again, because thou dost sit in glory at the Father's right hand interceding for us, that thy spirit has applied to us the blessed righteousness which we have because of thy substitutionary death. And we thank thee for the sanctification that thou dost bring within us. O oh God, may the fire of thy holy love fill our hearts today. May we rise up in praise and thanksgiving to thee. As we hear thy word, may our souls be satisfied as we, pee, as we feast upon Christ and his glorious love for us and what he has done to save us from our sins. This is thy church, Lord. It is not ours. It is thy blood-bought and glorious purchase. Thou art washing us with the water of the word today that we might be a spotless church. That without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Thank you. May our hearts delight and rest upon thee thy glorious gospel of grace. Now, help this weak vessel to speak thy word to thy dearly loved people. Please, O oh God, speak to thy people. Help me not to blur it, confuse it. Come by that glorious wind that fills our souls. Shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. Open our ears. Open our eyes. That we may know our God. And I pray it. Oh and Father. Once again we cannot but pray for the lost. We cannot but pray for those. Who have not fled to thee in faith. 
come to thee in faith, believed thee. Lord, come by thy power and grant repentance unto life. And I ask in thy great and glorious name that thou wouldst minister to all of the people gathered, to our dear brothers and sisters who are not with us here this morning, those that may be joining us. We do pray, O oh God, for Grace Palmer. We hope that the distress that she is presently in is not appendicitis. But Father, we ask in thy mercy and grace that thou wouldst make clear uh, what, what is happening in that body. And I pray for all who have conditions or who are sick. Come, O physician, not only of the soul, but of our bodies. Help us. Now, Lord, do thy great regenerating, do thy great sanctifying work today. In thy holy name, amen. Please be seated. The dazzling, beautiful revelation of God's Son set before us in verses 1 through 3 summarizes and displays themes that will unfold throughout the letter to the Hebrews. The author of Hebrews had an impressive knowledge of God's Word. And he knew how to use it. Chapter after chapter, he quotes and argues from the revelation of God's word. And in this case, the Old Covenant scriptures. He understood the Old Covenant scriptures well and he applied them with skill. Great skill. There is not a more stunning revelation. There is not a more beautiful description of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And verse 4 of this introductory portion of the letter concludes the seven descriptions of the Son. And it introduces the arguments from Scripture that support and prove those descriptions. What a heart-ravishing, soul-strengthening, mind-expanding, and faith-increasing Bible study Hebrews is. It is as though the Holy Spirit has said to every believer down through the ages... Behold the Son, my Son. Behold 
your God, your Savior. Behold your Lord. Behold your prophet, your priest, your king, as he intercedes for you. Now strengthen your faith in these perilous times and persevere with Christ Jesus. He is ruling the universe. He can handle what's happening here. We need to commit our hearts and minds to him. Now with that, we take up verse 4 of the exordium. For those of you visiting with us, the exordium, um, that's a, a proper term that's used for the introduction to a sermon or to uh, a speech. And that's the way Hebrews comes to us. It doesn't begin with, I, the Apostle Paul, am writing to you. We don't know exactly who wrote it. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't take the time to introduce himself, nor does he speak directly to his uh, readers as being in a particular place or part of a, a particular church. He just starts. He brings the glory of Christ before everyone who picks it up and begins to read. That is unusual in the New Testament. So, we're taking up verse 4, the last part of this exordium, which continues the theme, Christ is better. Christ is better. The title of our message is Better Than Angels Introduction. And may our Holy Heavenly Father grant us Eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe his revelation. May we see Christ and be edified. May we know the Holy Spirit's power and be sanctified. And may the lost believe on Christ and be justified. So our first heading is a summary, something of a summary, and it is this. The God-man, Christ Jesus, is better than the prophets. We've heard that for many weeks now. Verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> these have shown us in these last days that Jesus is better than the prophets in time past, <clears throat> in time past, God's prophets were great and faithful servants of God. They delivered God's word to God's people, often at the cost of their life's blood. Nevertheless, though they were faithful to speak and write God's revelation, no prophet in time past was ever appointed heir of all things. No prophet created the universe. No 
prophet ever was the brightness of God's glory. No prophet was the express image of God's person. No prophet upholds all creation by the word of his own power. No prophet could purge us, nor did purge us from our filthy sins. And no prophet ascended into the regions of glory to sit down on the right hand of the majesty on high. In time past, the prophets delivered the revelation of Christ in types and shadows. But in these last days, one prophet arose among men who was and who did reveal the Christ, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son that is presented before us in this passage. Jesus, the Son, was the revelation that fulfilled the prophet's revelation. And he brought a greater and more glorious revelation of God's so great salvation. Jesus' new covenant revelation was and is better than the prophet's old covenant revelation. So why does that matter? Because the people to whom this was written were facing very challenging days. And many of them must have been asking the question, we don't find it here in the scriptures, but they had to be thinking something like this. Do I want to go through all this because of the name of this Jesus? Do I want to face possible injury to me, my family, loss because of the name of this Jesus? Do I want my life forfeited because of this Jesus that I've never seen? And the epistle to the Hebrews says, yes, it's worth everything. It is worth everything. Because of who Christ is and because of what Christ has done. It's worth your life. Our nation in its modern times doesn't know much about shedding its blood for Christ. But we might before things are over. It is my hope that we do not see that. But the issue is to be ready for it in whatever way it comes. We want to know how to walk with Christ. We want to know to how to have persevering faith in the crucified and resurrected Son of God in perilous times. That's why all this matters. That's why the very first thing is the most important thing in this letter, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us to our second, second major heading. We've learned that Jesus' new covenant revelation was and is better than the prophet's old covenant revelation. Now, 
we move to a new subject. The God-man, Christ Jesus, is better than the angels. He is better than the angels. That theme, as we will see, if God lets us persevere through the whole letter, we will discover that the argument is always that Jesus, who he is and what he's done, is better. Better than the Jews who believed running back to the old covenant system. So then Jesus is better than the angels. Verse 4. We take up this particular verse. And we need to understand how it functions. It concludes verses 1 through 3. And it introduces us to verses 5 through 14. That's how it works. It's like a hinge between these two parts. <clears throat> it's like a gateway from this section into the next. We're now going to hear the arguments for Christ's superiority. We've seen it with the prophets. We will now see it with these extraordinary, extraordinary beings called angels. Now, the infallible text says, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, the first thing we need to do is make a clarification. When the verse says, being made so much better, the word made does not mean being created. Very important. We usually use the word made or make in that term. But even in English, we have a different way of using it. Let me illustrate that. And I hope that this will be at least a simple and helpful um, illustration. Our country made this man president. And we're not talking about creation whatsoever. We did something. And in doing something, <clears throat> he became our president. We can put it this way. We voted for this man and he became our president. That's the way made is being used here. The idea in the verse is that Jesus became so much better than the angels. Jesus became so much better than the angels. So that we may read the verse this way. Having become so much better than the angels. Now we need a second clarification. <clears throat> At this particular point, uh, we need to consider that, well, if Jesus is the God-man, as the Son of God, wasn't he always better than the angels since he made them? Right? He's the creator. He made them. He is their sovereign Lord as he is ours. So how did he become? I take us back one more time to the idea of creator 
and creature. <clears throat> the crea a, a creator, there's only one, and that creator is God. God never becomes. There is no becoming for God in his nature as God. He always has been. He is now. He always will be God. But now the distinction comes up. Jesus is the God man. The extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit who united humanity and deity. His deity lost nothing. He didn't become less than God when he was united to humanity. So he was truly God, truly man in one person. So we're not talking about Christ in his deity as creator of all things. This passage in this context is talking about the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He became better than the angels. All right? Now, how can we say that? Because, as we will see when we take up verses 5 through 14, we find out that the God-man, in uniting with humanity, <clears throat> became less than the angels in his status. The angels are a higher creature than humans. Sorry, we're not the greatest creature around. All right. But the God-man was sent on a mission, and he's going to keep that mission completely. And now I bring it into the context. That's always what matters as we try to wrestle through these kind of things that we must clarify and think about. <clears throat> it's talking about Christ sitting now at the right hand of the Father. This is his inheritance, the universe. He as the God-man did not exist in creation. The man Christ Jesus was not born until thousands of years later. But it was in that extraordinary miracle in the virgin's womb that eternal son of God who was the agent by which God the Father created all things in the power of the Holy Spirit. The God-man didn't exist at that point. He did in God's mind. Now, Jesus came into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, made under the law, and he completely, successfully did everything necessary to save us from our sins. That's what God sent him into this world to do. That person, truly God and truly man, arose, ascended into glory, having purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, in that context, he inherits the entire universe and is now ruling at the Father's right hand. Hallelujah. We have a living Savior, a living prophet, a living 
priest, a living king. And that priest is interceding for us at this moment. He intercedes every time his people gather for their worship. We should come ready to magnify him, to glorify him, to pour out our hearts in love to him. He's worthy. So, Jesus, the God-man, ascended and seated, having become so much better than the angels. He went down, humbled himself, was less than the angels, and in his ascension, he is now, as God-man, better than the angels and has received his glorious inheritance. And as we'll see at another time, he's received a name as well. So, if he's better than the angels, we now need to spend a little bit of time on the angels so that we can learn some things about them. It seems that for several decades now, many people in our country are caught up in this idea of angels. Much of it is uh, tinged by the occult, the New Age, Eastern religion, those kinds of things, or just plain fiction and nonsense. But angels are real. They are part of God's creation. And we need to do a little thinking about them. This is such an expansive subject in the scriptures. It's not possible to do this justice without a series on its own, and we won't do that. But this is just a very little taste of of what there is to think about when we hear the word angels. Angels are mentioned hundreds of times throughout the 66 books of the Bible. They often appear at very important historic events. The events that are such a massive uh, or of massive importance to God's people. They always seem to show up at these extraordinary moments. So the first thing to consider is what are angels? What are they? They're not little statues that we put over the fireplace or on your table or your collection. Angels are spirit beings. As Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit. A spirit is an immaterial being, a being of spiritual substance. It's invisible. You cannot see them unless They make themselves known. Then we may see them. As the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, and there's some here today. They're always with God's people. They minister to God's people. I'm jumping ahead of myself. So, they are spiritual beings. Spirit beings. As the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me to have. God is the almighty, all-knowing, all-present, 
an infinite spirit. But angels are a part of God's glorious creation. They are not little deities. They're not gods, though they are sometimes referred to with the lowercase g, gods, occasionally in Scripture, meaning that they are mighty ones. Angels are mighty ones. That's what the word God means. Our God, who also applies the same word to himself, Elohim, is saying with that name that he is the mighty one. But there are little mighty ones. God even called the judges of Israel gods, little g, not because they had a God nature, but because they were representing God by doing justice in the law. They represented God to Israel as they applied God's law. So sometimes, very rarely, the angels are considered that way, but they are not deities. They are not the nature of eternal God. Psalm 104 verse 4 says of God, who maketh, and now we're talking about creation, who maketh his angels spirits. He made them spirits. God created these mighty spirit beings, ex nihilo. He gave them intellect, reason, will, and great powers to be his ministers or messengers. In fact, both the Hebrew and the Greek words translated angel means messenger. Messenger. The word messenger is applied over 100 times to refer to human messengers in the Bible. Someone who delivers a message. And angels are a heavenly counterpart. They are messengers for God from the heavens, very often to men. They're messengers. They are also ministers, as we will see. This is an extraordinary study. You know, the UFO people are always saying, we are not alone. All you have to do is read the Bible to know that. It's just who's the other thing that we're talking about? Someone from another planet? No, someone from another true dimension, spiritual realm the spiritual world there is a greater world than this one the realm in which God inhabits in his astonishing glory is not like anything that we can imagine but we'll see it someday so the fact is yes there is another dimension filled with spirit beings our world is filled with angels and demons who are fallen angels so humans on the other hand have material bodies flesh and bone none of us here can say 
I am a spirit being. Now, we do have a spirit. It's true. We are partially spirit and flesh. It's the flesh part that cuts us out of being spirit beings altogether. This is God's infinitely glorious conception to unite spirit and flesh. Now, it's true that humans are flesh and spirit. But I remind you that angels are purely spirit beings. So to be a spirit by nature is to be nearer to the nature of God himself. These are extraordinary beings. In several places of scripture, such as Job 1.6, Job 2.1, they are referred to as the sons of God. Now there, there, now there was a day, this is, this is Job 1.6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Job 38 verse 7 says that at creation the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That's the angels, and none of us were there yet. There is apparently a multitude seeing this extraordinary thing set out for us in words in Genesis, but extraordinary and the mighty power of God. And those angels could not but sing the praise of the one who just made the worlds, and all creation. What was that like to see? What was that like to see? So the angels are sons, quotation mark, because God created and governed them. Not because they are incarnate. They're not. They're spirit beings. But he made them and is father to them in that sense they are not sons in the sense that Christ is God's son God as we have already seen this is one of the reasons we spent some time on the trinity within the nature within the essence of the one God there are three eternal persons the father the son and the holy spirit they share one will they share one essence So Christ is the only son of God in the way that he is son of God. And then that eternal son became the God-man son or the son who became son. We repeat some of these things so that they really begin to sink in. So then... uh -uh. Jesus is the only begotten son from and for eternity. The angels are created spirit beings. Number two, angels are 
of different kinds. The Bible tells us about cherubs, or in the plural, cherubim. After Adam fell into sin and God drove him out of the garden, God placed the cherubim. He placed at the east of that Garden of Eden cherubims with flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The tabernacle and the temple both displayed winged angels on the curtains. Why is that? Because God dwells among the millions upon millions of angels. And that place, I I can't describe it. I've never seen it. Hope to. But the Lord hasn't given us a picture. We don't have a heavenly photograph. Wish you were here. That'll happen. So, So the whole point, the whole point is that God is God. His creation is the heaven and the earth. And we could go into all the various things that we understand, seventh heaven, all of the kind of language that there is. The fact of the matter, God lives on a plane in a region that is beyond our imagination. And those angels dwell there with him. And they make their appearances here in this world. That's why the Jews thought so highly of them. Because this was a creature that stood in the presence of God. And they knew that the angels were above human beings. And again, we bring in another of those themes. It is in the fact that Christ became man that we call his time on earth his humiliation. He lowered himself to save us. So, the tabernacle and the temple both displayed winged, winged uh, angels on the curtains. uh, And in the Holy of Holies, two golden cherubim faced one another. Nowadays, you can find uh, artists' attempts to try to uh, put these pictures together. These are something that were not seen by the average Jew. They were from the Holy of Holies. But at least now we have some idea of what they might have looked like. In that Holy of Holies, two golden cherubim faced each other, overshadowing the mercy seat where the blood was spilt for the atonement of sin, a picture of Christ. How we meet with God is where the blood was spilt. For us, we don't look at a golden seat. We look to the cross of Calvary where he shed his blood for us. Now, in Ezekiel's extraordinary vision, uh, cherubim emerged from a fiery whirlwind. And this was their appearance, says the text. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. 
and their feet were straight feet and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass and they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides and their the four, they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. Now the description goes on. I just stopped there. Our minds are already on overload. I mean, this is beyond our ability. Unless we have a vision like that, we don't know what that looks like. People have tried to paint it over the years. They've tried to even do some digital artwork. I've seen some things that are really wonderful. I just can't say, yeah, I know that's exactly what they look like. We can't. But Ezekiel saw them. This was an extraordinary time because God was calling, in, calling him into his service as a prophet. Angels are always showing up at these remarkable moments because they're God's servants. They are ministers of God to man in many ways. They also minister to God. Do we get that? They minister to God and they minister to us. We're not very godly sometimes. But what mercy and grace we see in the fact that God would send his angels to encourage us, to strengthen us, well, another sort of angels was the seraphim, the seraphim. <clears throat> and they were radiant, fiery angels. And of course, as with just about anything in the scriptures, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of controversy about are, are these words cherubim and seraphim, do they actually point to a different category? Or are they synonymous and they're essentially the same kind of creature? We don't know. I haven't seen them. And I don't think most of the people writing in the debate have either. <laughs> it would end the debate if one just saw one. But we don't know. We have the word descriptions and our minds can do what they do, but that's as far as it carries us. It carries us. These were radiant. These were fiery angels. They were symbolic of holiness and purity and of standing in God's court, in God's presence. Oh. We also know that Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, he covered his face. And with twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That word hosts is another term for angels. It's his armies. God has armies. Armies of angels. It's truly a... I run out of vocabulary. It's just above us. So far above us. Mm. So, above it stood the seraphims. Such radiant, majestic angels as the cherubim and seraphim appear in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Revelations, Full of them. 
Angels are sometimes referred to as ministers, watchers, sons of the mighty, holy ones, the host of heaven, and even stars. Number three, angels are glorious beings. Should be obvious to us by now. At least we should have a little sense of that. Made by God, for God, but he shares and sends his angels to minister to us. Mm. The angels are presented as brilliant, shining creatures. The angel that sat upon the stone of Christ's tomb. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. That's a powerful presence. Luke 24, 3 and 4 tells us of the women who went to Jesus' tomb and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as, there, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, shining, radiant, brilliant. That should remind us of God because they stand in his presence. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And those that stand in his presence must have an eye apparatus that can handle the glory of that region. Again, there's so little in Scripture to be dogmatic about. Number four, angels are powerful beings. They are powerful beings. Psalm 103, 20 says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, as we read this morning. So the angels, those armies, those millions upon millions of voices praise the Lord. They bless him. They bless him. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Second Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is the idea again of their power, of their great strength. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. My mind, maybe yours can. Maybe you can, you can, in your mind, imagine almost innumerable hordes of shining beings. All I can think of is that it would be the closest thing to the sun that we could imagine looking at. I don't know. I don't know. But it's right here before us. And they will come with Christ. They will come with Christ when he returns to set all things straight. And they will be armies, armies of these glorious, bright, shining 
spirit beings. It isn't like, oh, there's a hundred. It's numbers that we can't seem to calculate. Millions upon millions. Well, in First Kings chapter, uh, in Second Peter chapter two, verse eleven, it speaks of angels that are greater in power and might. And in Second Kings nineteen thirty-five, God protected Hezekiah and He judged the Assyrians. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians and hundred fourscore and five thousand, a hundred and eighty-five thousand people. One angel killed them. Let me encourage you. I know that probably all of you do this. But there are times when you're reading, you need to drop anchor and sit and think about what you just read really deeply. I mean, meditation is the missing part of many Christians' uh, uh, time in the Word. There's three things. It's not just two things. It's not just Word and Spirit, but Word, Spirit, and meditation. We just find meditation throughout the Scriptures over and over, stopping and thinking and thinking about that thing till it begins to make an impression upon us. And then we can really take some of the glorious truth into our hearts. And I know that takes time. And I know that there, in the day in which we live, it's very hard for God's people to find time. But I would urge you to pray and say, Lord, open that door of time so I can have a little more time to sit and think about what you just said. One angel that kills 185,000 human beings. That's a powerful creature. We don't know how he did it. It just says that he did. And that passage goes on to say, when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Furthermore, they judged the Egyptians, angels judged the Egyptians, the Sodomites, the Assyrians, Herod, and he will cast Satan and his angels out of heaven. They will cast out Satan and his angels from heaven. There will be time when the sons of God gather and Satan and his devils will not gather. They will be thrown out, done. If he's not thrown out already. Well, number five, are engaged, angels are engaged in earthly activities. They're not just heavenly creatures that do things in heaven. They do and undoubtedly give themselves to wholehearted worship of God. They worship him. They praise him. This is not amazing. They're not worshiping because he saved them by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to do that. The angels have either fallen, Satan and his demons, or we have the angels that just praise him in the highest because of whom he is. God is so great. God is so glorious. All these millions of voices shouting his praises. It's noisy there, but it's got to be beautiful noise. It has to be. 
the sounds of, of these heavenly beings magnifying the Most High. I can't even imagine what the music is like. They're engaged in heavenly activities, but they're also engaged in earthly activities. They ministered to Daniel. They ministered to Zechariah. They ministered to Zacharias, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, to the apostles, and even to more, to Philip, to John. The list really goes on. And of course, <clears throat> what we see here Again, is this bright and outshining glory. Even when they come into this world. When Elisha's enemies surrounded him. Elisha's servant said, alas, how shall we do? I mean, have you been in a situation like that? Where you just look at it and go, I don't know what to do. How are we going to deal with this? <clears throat> That's one of, my, one of my prayers about many things. I, I know something about this. Lord, you've taught me a little bit about that. You've taught me a little bit here, but I'm looking at something. I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. How do I deal with that? Well, that's exactly where they were at this particular point when they realized that they were surrounded by thousands of hostile soldiers. Thousands and thousands. Master, what are we going to do? And Elisha said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. There's times, brethren, when we're facing certain things and we feel absolutely alone. But if we are walking and fighting in God's battles, his soldiers are there. They are watching and overseeing us. How much? When? The scriptures don't tell us. As far as I know, be glad to know that there is 24-7 heavenly protection. But even when we're protected, there are times when the Lord said, you've run your course, and whatever is going to take us, takes us. But we also know that the scriptures even tell us that it's the angels that take us and escort us to the glory of God. When we pass. Oh friends. This is extraordinary. Now. Sixthly. The angels are innumerable. And they're engaged in. That heavenly worship that we spoke of. And I will only give one example. John writes in Revelation chapter 5. Verse 11. And I beheld. And I heard the voice of Many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That means millions, millions 
And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Angels, number seven, are revealed in important moments of human history. We cannot list all the references. Not possible with this time. But the angels were present at the creation of the world. And they sang in... And when they saw it, they guarded the garden after Adam was driven out. They announced the birth of Christ. They ministered to him in the wilderness. They rolled away Christ's stone at the mouth of his tomb. They announced his resurrection. They attended his ascension. And that's just a little bit. Wanted to focus on Christ. He did, they did things for men in this world. In our scientific age, the idea of talking about angels is nonsense to many. But it is as clear in Scripture as any other doctrine that the angels are God's servants. He creates them. He sends them. He can withhold them. So then, how did the Son become so much better than the angels? These are Creatures beyond our capacity, generally, to take in. How did the sun become so much better? You probably already know. This brief introduction to the angels of God is for, the, for this reason. As astonishing as the mighty, holy, shining spirit beings are, Christ is better. He was the light of the world. He is light and glory. We're told in the book of Revelation that there's no night there because the Father and the Lamb are all the light. They are glorious. Obviously, <clears throat> the Son is greater in His deity. The angels, powerful as they are, are not deities. Jesus is creator and sustainer, and angels are but creatures. But it should now be clear to us, we can say about the angels what we said about the prophets. No angel is ever appointed heir of all things. The Son was. No angel created the universe. The Son did. No angel ever was the brightness of God's glory. The Son is. No angel was the express image of God's person. The Son is. No angel upholds all creation by the word of his own power. But Jesus, the Son, does. No angel could purge us nor did purge us from our filthy sins. And no angel ascended into the regions of glory to sit down at the right hand of God. But that's Christ. That's the Son. That's the Son. It was as the God-man who did all these glorious things that Jesus completed his earthly mission of salvation full and free. 
as the God-man who accomplished all the will of his Father, he purged our sins, ascended into glory, and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, the Son, the ascended God-man, is better than all the angels because of who he is and because of what he has done. So two quick applications. As we hear all this, and there was so much to talk about with the angels, it's extraordinary. With all this, I want to speak for just a moment to the lost. <clears throat> no angel if he appeared before you, can save you from your sins. None. No sinful man, no pastor, no pope, no priest, no sinful man or woman can save you from your sins. We talk about what Jesus has, who he is and what he's done. It is the God-man who accomplished full and free salvation to all those who repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, who purged our sins and is seated on the right hand of majesty, saves all that come to him because he is able. He has accomplished everything infinitely necessary to save your soul. Come to him. Oh, come to him. He saves every repenting and believing soul. And to the saved, I simply say to you, rejoice that you know the Son who's better than angels. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Rejoice that though angels have a higher knowledge than we. Rejoice that though they have a greater power than we. Rejoice though they have greater glory in the very presence of the Almighty. They cannot save us. Jesus Christ did this. Jesus Christ alone. The God-man. Only Jesus saves us, keeps us because of who he is and because of what he has done. Now, whatever else we may take away this morning, we must be sure to take this. Jesus is better than the angels. And it has been explained in detail why that's the case. And we could go on. He alone reigns over the universe and the salvation of men and women and children. He alone can cleanse you, save you, preserve you unto the moment you enter his presence. And he will. Trust him. Love him. Obey him. And worship him with your whole heart. He is worthy. Amen. Amen. Oh, my Father, thy word is true. Thy word is truth.
and it is that which we believe about the Savior that saves our soul. We believe what thou hast set before us. We want this Christ, no other Christ. Now, Lord, we have heard thee. Help us to walk with thee throughout this Lord's day. Bless. I pray that thou already hast blessed thy people and encourage their hearts. May the lost not leave this place without thinking of their immortal souls and their need for the saving Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with me. <clears throat> Again, we turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, <clears throat> and verse 24. And the very God of peace, the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Amen. Amen. Let's go in the name of the Lord. <clears throat>